0: Cecilia and I were riding in the car the other day, and I don't remember exactly who I was referencing or thinking about, but I made this comment about somebody, and I said this. I said, yeah, she's a runner like me. And then she looked at me like, like you're not a runner. You haven't run in like a dozen years. But I guess once you do a thing, you get to always claim that you are that thing, right? I mean, any of you ever hiked? Any of you ever been on a hike? Look at all the hikers in the room. That's awesome. Any of, you, any of you guys ever play football? Look at all the football players in here. See what I mean? And then I realize I'm not a runner anymore. I'm just an old guy who wears running shoes. <laughs> because they're comfortable. So I say that to say, it's a bit of sandbagging on my part. I'm going to make some running references today, but I don't want you hardcore people to be turning your nose up at me and saying, like, "You don't know what you're talking about. you don't know about running. Listen, at some point or another, everybody in this room has run. Whether it's running after a toddler, running after a bus that you're uh, behind on, or running at the airport, we've all run at some point, right? Or running from something, I don't know. The Bible says as Christians, we all run. We all run. There's a, a rather pervasive metaphor that runs through the New Testament about the Christian life. Helping us understand that this is not a short sprint. But this is an endurance run, what we might call a marathon. And we're all running it. And we need to run it with with purpose. We need to run it with a clear aim. And we need to understand the challenges in running it. The Apostle Paul described it this way in 1 Corinthians 9.24. He said this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way as to take the prize. Now, the difference between what the Apostle Paul described in human races, track races, Olympic races, and the Christian race is this. There are winners and losers in both, but unlike a a marathon or a 5K or a 10K, in the Christian life, we can all win. In fact, we all should aim to win, and we should all aim to help each other win. And so that's the aim of this message today, that we would run in such a way as to when. So I want to pray about that this morning. And just pray as I do that God would show you something. Something he wants you to see. Something he wants you to hear. Something he wants you to understand. And more than that, something he wants you to do. Or maybe stop doing so that you can run. Let's pray. Father, we need to see Jesus today. Your glory in his face. That's what we need. We need to consider him. We need to understand him. We need to understand your word that you've given us. We need to be encouraged today. Some need to be challenged today, motivated today. Some need to be picked up, pulled up, lifted up today. Lord, I pray that the things that we need to hear, we would, not just on a superficial level, not even on just a natural level, supernatural level, spiritual level, to feel like you're saying something to me today, something to us today, because you know us, you know where we are on this race. You know how we're doing right now. You know how we're running or if we're running at all. And Lord, you know the lives of everybody in this room, if they've even begun this race. Lord, your desire is that we finish and finish well. So Lord, teach us today. Show us. By your Holy Spirit, empower us to do this, to want to do this. And give us the ability to do it. Lord, that will bring you glory. I know. And that will be for our everlasting good. So that's why we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moments, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let's look at the context of this passage, because it's got the key words that we need to consider for a moment at the very beginning. Therefore, since... Therefore since, we spent a couple of weeks in chapter 11, you remember, and we ran down this list of people, famous and not quite as famous from the Old Testament, heroes of the faith. We have this sort of hall of faith, if you will, in Hebrews chapter 11. And you have the circumstances they endured. Some achieved incredible things because of the grace of God, the power of God at work in their lives. Some endured incredible things because of the grace of God in their lives, but all of them demonstrated faith. And this passage says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. First question in that text is, who then are these witnesses? Who are the witnesses that he's talking about in chapter 12? Here's the challenge. Run the race of the Christian life. Run this race of faith. You're surrounded by so many witnesses. Who are the witnesses? It's the people that we just talked about in chapter 11. It's those ones who've gone before you. It's those ones who set the example, set the pace already around you. It's all those in that previous chapter. So as we read chapter 11, we're reading their stories, and hope it drew you back some over the last couple of weeks to reading more about them in, in the Old Testament passages like Genesis, etc. And hope it caused you to celebrate them. We celebrate them while they motivate us. So we're motivated to look at their lives and run. I remember when a couple of years ago, when we were uh, able to take sabbatical, and Sicily and I were in Greece. And we went to um, Olympia, of the famed, the famed location of the original Olympic Games. And it's kind of interesting, as you go under an arch in Olympia, there are, well, they're just the bases now. Most of the statues have come down over the years, and you see just what remains of them. But there are two types of statues as you enter the, the main uh, grounds where the Olympics were held. On the one side, you have statues of heroes, These are people who have won these Olympic Games. These are uh, heroes of renown. These are great figures in, in Olympic lore. And you look at them and you have inspiration from them. On the other side are the bases that once held other statues. They called these the Zanes. I'm not sure the origin of the word, the etymology of that, but they call them Zanes. And the Zanes were people who were notorious in the Olympics for cheating. These are the people who failed miserably. And so they were held up for scorn and spite. And you know, it's a pretty good reminder that when you look back at those who have gone before you, whether that's parents or friends, or people you went to church with, or people that you knew, you can look to the examples of those who did exceedingly well and you can you can be encouraged and inspired, and you can take up some of the things that they did. You can take on their characteristics, and you can say, I want to be like them, or you can be motivated by those who didn't and say, I want to be the opposite of that. I don't want to finish like that. And you know, it's interesting when we study the Bible, particularly the characters of the Old Testament, we see both, don't we? We see the heroes and we see the Zanes. We see the ones who finished well, did exceedingly well, sometimes through great difficulty, sometimes through great periods of recovery. And then we see those who finished poorly. We see those lives who are exemplars of despair, lack of faith, poor choices. Who are these witnesses? All those in the previous chapter. What do those witnesses model for us? What are the sort of themes that we've seen in chapter 11? Here's a quick flyover if you missed it. We've seen these sort of things about them. One, they believed the things that God told them. When God's word came to them, whether that was through an angelic messenger, whether that was through an Old Testament appearance of God himself, whether that was through the words of a prophet, they believed what God told them. They took that to heart, not only believing it to be true, but they acted on that. They lived as if that were so. So believing what God said, then they were able to focus on what was to come. That's what enabled them to endure great difficulty. They said, look, I know we're going through this now, whether that's a famine, whether that's conflict with enemies, whether that's internal challenges in my own household, whether that's my own children fighting with each other, whatever it may be, whatever the circumstances were, because they believed what God said, and part of that was what God had promised them, they could look forward to what was to come. Always looking forward. There's something better up ahead. That sort of faith, that sort of foresight, that sort of perspective gave them the ability to trust him. And that's what faith really is. Do I really trust God right now? Or when it gets hard, do I turn away? Do I shrink back? Do I look for resources somewhere else? Do I try to find my answers in someone else? They trusted him in all these kind of difficulties. And here's what marked them best and most. To a person in Hebrews chapter 11, though they were all imperfect for sure, and though we could easily dissect their lives, and we could find their faults and failures, we could look at some of their situations and think, what were you thinking? Why would you do that? We might even a bit arrogantly think, I would never do that. I would never be like you in some of those situations. Yet each of them, from whatever failures, whatever mishaps, whatever bad decisions, they all recovered and they all finished. They all finished. They all crossed the finish line intact. That's why Hebrews chapter 11 uses this phrase, this two-word phrase, in faith. They finished in faith. They crossed the line, trusting, believing, obeying. They lived this thing out, and they finished, and God says, well done. I mean, isn't that really what you long for? I mean, if you're a Christian down deep inside, isn't isn't that what you long for? I mean, if there are any two words that you could hear when you meet God face to face, don't you want them to be these? Well done. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of the Lord. That's what I want to hear, and I think that's what you want to hear, and that's what I'm here for. I'm here for your sake. I'm here so that you'll hear those words, well done. That's why I will challenge you. Um, that's why sometimes I'll, I'll push you. That's why sometimes I'll, I'll frustrate you. That's why sometimes maybe I'll even irritate you. Why does he keep acting like I'm not a Christian yet? Well, because I want to make sure you finish and you hear the words, well done. Well done. So here's a command to us. You got this context. Therefore, since we're surrounded by those witnesses, let us also, let us also. I don't know how you respond or react when you read some of these Old Testament passages, because some of the people are bigger than life for sure. I mean, the things that they did. I mean, Moses, for goodness' sake, Abraham, Noah, David. I mean, these are heroic Old Testament figures. And I think sometimes when we read about them, we subconsciously unintentionally detach ourselves from them and their stories like they're so far beyond us so far advanced past us they're so different than us that we couldn't be like that I could never do something that great for God or we look at those who suffered greatly and we say I don't know that I could withstand that or endure that but the passage that we read over those last couple of weeks was not to make heroes of people But to make examples that we could follow because we follow the same God with the same power behind us, the same promises in front of us, that we would do what they did. Their stories, every one of them. Why does God preserve them? Why do we have the the good and the bad? Why do we have their successes and failures? So we would learn from them. And we would learn what faith is. And we would learn most of all who God is. And how he's always faithful. And why we should always trust what he says. And while even when we don't understand, we should obey him because he's doing always what's good for us. And so these themes always running through there. So the primary imperative, there's, when I say imperative, there's one primary command. There are lots of related terms, qualifying terms around that command. But the primary imperative is this, run. Let us also run. The primary imperative is to run. Okay, now... That you are in Christ, if you belong to Christ, if you've received the gift of his salvation, if you are a partaker in the covenant he's made with you in Christ, I will forgive their sins. I will give them a new heart. They will become my sons and daughters. That's the covenant God made with us in Christ. And you've covenanted with him to follow him as Lord of your life. Now run. Everything else is related to that. So it's going to answer some questions for us, and we'll hit these in just short order this morning, but these are sort of the questions we're going to get answered in this passage. How do we run? we got to run. How do we run? we got to run with purpose. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not just running nowhere. I know some of you probably enjoy running on a treadmill. I'll do it sometimes because I, I need to because I'm not doing anything else. But it's kind of frustrating to me, and I don't, I've never run on one of those fancy treadmills that I can just imagine with a big screen in front of me I'm actually getting somewhere. I run with the full reality I'm going nowhere. <laughs> and that's frustrating to me. I, at least when you're running outside somewhere, at least you're going somewhere. And if you run far enough, you know you at least got to come back, so you know, you're making some commitment to yourself. On a treadmill, I can stop at any point. Like, I went nowhere, I got nowhere to go back to, I'm in the same place I was. We run with purpose. But I also want to talk... A little bit this morning about running with endurance. And and when I say running with endurance, I'm not primarily talking about the pace that you keep or how you feel as you're running. When I say endurance, I'm using that as a word synonymous with perseverance. I'm talking about running all the way to the end, finishing well, running all the way to the end. That's how we run. Passage also addresses to whom and with whom we run. It's kind of interesting because it's a both and. We don't run alone, right? When we run this race, and I'm not talking about just the fellowship of believers, the brothers and sisters we have that run with us in this race. I'm talking about we have Christ. We have the Spirit of Christ with us. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples? It was the most encouraging thing he could possibly tell them. As he prepped them for his own death and departure to heaven, he said this to them, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He even told them in so many words, It's going to be better for you when I leave. Why? Why? Because I'm going to send my spirit to be with you. You don't run alone. So this passage is reminding us we run with Jesus. We run to Jesus. It's both and. The spirit of Christ is within us. And one day we'll see him face to face. What do we expect when we run? Just as a quick poll. So I'll know how much to butcher some of these illustrations on running. How many of you actually do some running today still? Okay, so don't hold anything I say against me. But how many would you say when you run, you know, it, does, it is hard sometimes. I know there are people who love it. I get it. I hear people say, all the time, oh, I just love to run. I feel so good when I run. You know, I've got these endorphins going I don't even know what that is. When I run, it hurts. <laughs> and I get tired or cold or tired or hot. My ankles hurt. My knees hurt. I do it because of the outcome, ultimately, which I hope is good. But I don't do it because I love it. Now, if you love it, more power to you. I love sitting. But... <laughs> What do you expect when you run this race of life? Pain. Obstacles. Difficulties. Hardships. Opposition. All those things are natural. Now, I know you've heard me say this over these last several weeks as we've gone through Hebrews, but remind yourself of that as a Christian. Just because you decide to follow Christ, part of that promised covenant to save you, to give you new life, to take you to heaven, did not mean to make every day of your life jolly. didn't mean everything's going to be easy did not mean people are always going to like you, that you're never going to be challenged. In fact, you may face challenges you never imagined before, because now you're running or now you're going against the, to- the tide. You're going against the flow, against the stream. You're running on a narrow path now. You're choosing a different course. All those things are challenging. So why do we do it? Remember what Paul said? 1 Corinthians 9, 24, we run in order to win the prize. And what's the prize? The prize is God himself. We get God. At the end of this, the great glory of our salvation is not that we get to go to heaven and it's awesome. And it's the best food we ever had. And it's the most beautiful place we've ever been. And we get to do all the most incredible things we've always wanted to do. The ultimate result is we get God. We get to enjoy him forever. And all of his goodness forever. Got to finish. So what's the challenge to all that? The big challenge comes back to that word endurance. Running and not quitting. Running and not stopping. Running and making sure that you finish. You and I have to purpose from the get-go or repurpose today. You're not just going to begin this race. You're going to finish it. You're going to finish this race, not just start it. Let me try to make this point clear and do it briefly. You know, there are a lot of people today probably some among us, but certainly a lot of people that claim to be Christian. But the only real claim that they've got to being Christian is they started something, somewhere, sometime. You know, they'll, they'll remember maybe not the exact time and place or time and date. They may remember the place, or the setting of the person, but they'll remember being baptized, maybe when they were young. They'll remember some event, summer camp, vacation Bible school. A church event, a revival experience, a drama that they attended. They'll remember starting. Now, their life today doesn't show any evidence of someone who is running the race of faith, any evidence of someone who is in love with God, any evidence of someone who's guided by God's Spirit from within, any evidence of someone who's surrendered to the authority of Scripture over the decisions of their life, any sense that what they're living for is the pleasure of God rather than the pleasure of themselves. I mean, there's just no fruit there. But they'll point they'll point back to the beginning. You know, I I prayed. I asked Jesus into my heart. I did this. I did that. But are they running the race? The best evidence that you have, the best assurance that you have of your salvation is not that you started some race long ago, but are you in the race? Are you still in the race? Are, Are you still running? And this is not a deep theological dive into perseverance and losing our salvation, it's simply the reality of looking at our lives and saying there's scant hope in Scripture given to people who claim to be something they're not, who say they're doing something they don't do, who say they believe something that they don't live, who say they have a faith that they don't demonstrate. There's scant hope given to those sort of people. So the challenge is not just to begin this thing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that you began I, I pray for these young ones that you saw up here, these four that these four little ones that you saw up here, I pray that at God's right timing, they're going to start this race of faith. And I pray they'll finish it. And I pray that you will too. Now who's the perfect example of finishing? Who's the author of Hebrews hold up as the example of one who began and one who finished? Jesus. And look at what it says about Jesus for a moment. I mean, this is real life, raw, visceral stuff. Here's Jesus. God of God, creator of creator, co equal with the, the Father and the Spirit in the Trinity that's God, lacking nothing, having everything, and yet willingly relinquishing position and place, worship, adulation, descending from heaven to earth takes on the form of a servant, a servant of all humankind. And he lives life like us. The one who made us. The one who ultimately will judge us. The one by whom and through whom everything holds together, becomes one of us, and he lives this life with us. But in order to save us, he has to do more than teach us good things. In order to save us, he's got to do more than set a good example for us to follow. In order to save us, he's got to be more than a martyr. He's got to be a sacrifice. He's got to be a raised body from the dead. He's got to be the Son of God. And what does he endure for that? Everything. You know the story of crucifixion. You know what he endured. The Bible says the example of Jesus as one who started and finished is the most critical. He endured the cross, he despised the shame. What does that mean? He took on all the abuses. And he finished. And we see in Hebrews that he's seated. That's the ultimate statement of one who ran the race. He finished what God sent him to do. He lived perfectly, died sacrificially, rose physically, and now gets to sit down beside the Father because he did it. It's done. It's finished. Consider him. So here's our challenge this morning. What are some ways that you and I can do everything in our power to ensure that we run well Finish strong. What are some things that you and I can do? We'll try to throw some things out here to you this morning that are both practical and and theological as well. How do you run in a way that ensures that you finish? Let's start here. This is a big picture thing. It's not something you're going to do in two minutes sitting in this room, it's something you're going to have to take with you and work on and work out. When was the last time you honestly assessed your life? I mean, the whole big picture. I mean, like getting away with God and maybe a, a pad and paper or your iPad and a pencil. Whatever it may be, get away and assess your life prayerfully because you need God's help to help you see what you don't see or don't want to see. And ask this question. Everything on, in my life, the stuff I'm doing, things I'm about, things I'm interested in, things I'm pursuing, things I spend my money on, where I spend my time, etc. Does this, will this help me run with Jesus? See, we've been selling ourselves short for a long, long time when it comes to our own spiritual life. We've been handicapping ourselves for a long time spiritually. We've been looking for just the low-lying fruit. We're asking questions like this. Is there anything wrong with it? Does the Bible say anything against it? Is there a reason I shouldn't do this? Or laying claim to our freedoms in Christ, which we do have. We are free in Christ. We're not bound to all the Old Testament laws, some ceremonial some religious, some civic, that don't apply to us today for sure. We understand that in light of the New Testament. But we're bound to a bigger law, this law of love. What does it mean to love God with all my heart, to follow Him completely? Is this thing hindering me? And so in this passage of Scripture, you got two challenges here. When you're running, he says, first of all, you got to lay aside every weight. Lay aside every weight. I can remember years ago, Cecilia and I ran in one of the Disney races, and it was cold. I don't remember what month of the year it was. She'll sure remember month and day. I don't remember that stuff, but I don't remember the decade exactly, but I know I was there. I got some, some proof, but I remember we were running. It's cold, and I remember they're telling you this. Okay, you're going to want to dress in layers, right? But nobody wants to run in layers. That's gruesome because, you know, you start off shivering, and, you know, after a little while, you're, you know, just like a sweat box in there. But what they told you is this. Wear things that you don't mind donating because you can shed those layers on the route and then we'll come back and pick them up and we'll donate them all to charity. So I'm thinking like, so I'm going to like put on my old overcoat or what here. I don't, you know, I just bought this running jacket. I'm not about to drop it on mile three. Um, But the idea is you don't want to run with all this stuff around you. When you think about this life, I want to, I want to please God with my life. I want to experience him I want to know the things God has for me I want to enjoy him I don't want to just wait till a sweet by and by I want to be close to him now. Is there some superfluous stuff in your life that you need to shed because it's keeping you from that and when I say superfluous I'm not saying look man that's clearly a sin I'm saying is it worth it to tote that around? Is it worth it to spend that much time on that is your is your favorite seven tv shows are they worth it all the time that you spend on your personal electronic device is it is it worth it we had to pick up something at the mall we were in nashville yesterday and had to run by the mall and i just it just dawned on me i'm just watching people walk around and almost nobody makes eye contact anymore you notice this because everybody's looking down device in their hand even when they're walking And you go to a restaurant, everybody's doing the same thing. Couples, families, everybody's got something in their hand. Is all the time we're pouring in, is it worth it? I'm saying, look at the superfluous stuff of your life. Is this going to be worth it? Will you be glad when you stand before God? You say, you know, man, I was so awesome at cornhole. I was the best. Is it worth it? You think about all these superfluous things. That's one level. Lay aside those weights and the sins that cling to us. And you know that's true, right? You know, you know sin clings. I can't elaborate on every point here because it's rich with depth. But here's something you need to know about sin real quickly, okay? Sin clings. In other words, sin is not so innocuous that you get to sin on your own terms. Like, I get to pick it up and put it down. I get to set it aside choose it again. I can let go of this at any time. That's just not how sin works. One of the things we see in the book of James is this sort of organic sense to our own sin. Springing up in our desires, and the more we fuel those desires, the more they grow. The more we satisfy those desires, the more they grip us, compel us, control us. And sin clings to us like a living thing. That's why the Bible says sin, when it's finished growing, developing, reaching in, getting deeply rooted, it kills us. It's parasitic. It's spiritually parasitic. You've got to get rid of that thing that clings. And so, that's a challenge for you. You want to run this life well? I don't just look at the obvious. I don't just say, look, I, I know if I, could be a better, I would be a better Christian if I stopped looking at pornography. Well, that's a clear-cut, obvious one. But that's not all. Superfluous and sinful. What's holding me back? What's slowing me down? What's keeping me from being who I need to be? Ask God to help you see that. Here's another way. I love what it says about Jesus. Why did Jesus do what he did? Now, we could answer a lot of reasons, and and a lot of them would be correct. But in this particular text, it lays out one compelling reason why Jesus persisted. Why did he endure the cross? The shame. Why did he suffer and die when he, by his own authority, did not need to? He could have stopped it. He could have said no at any point. He could have undone anything. Any scheme. He could have defeated any enemy. Why did he do it? It says, for the joy set before him. And that's a huge one. I will challenge you, just like I challenge myself. When you run this Christian life, run for the joy that is set before you and nothing else. That's the prime motivation. The joy set before me. It's not the short-term benefit. If someone sold you a a false bill of goods, if you were brought into the Christian faith on some sort of bait and switch, now you're going to get healthy. Now you're going to be prosperous. Now you're going to be successful. Now your relationships are all going to work. I'm not saying the power of God and those things is not possible to you, or God's plans might not include those things. I'm simply saying there's something bigger. There's a bigger perspective. It's the joy set before you. It's the sort of joy the Apostle Paul had that I know that these light and momentary troubles are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to me in Christ. Joy. When I'm finished, it will be joy. He's working everything, Romans 8, 28, for our good. If it's not good yet, then He's not finished working. Because the end result of the work of God is everlasting joy. That's who He is. That's what He gives. When we meet God, we will not get less of God than God is. And He's perfect joy. The only motivation sufficient for endurance, totally sufficient for endurance, is what God has for you later, not just what He has for you now. So, if you're sitting there this morning and you haven't even told anybody yet, maybe only your immediate family knows what the doctor just told you about your cancer, I don't have some superficial feel-good answer for you that's going to make all that make sense to you in this lifetime. I can't say to you, hey, I'm sure there's a good reason for that. You know, I'm sure it's going to be fine. I'm sure you, If you have enough faith, I'm sure you'll be healed from that. But I can tell you this, if you're in Christ, nothing happens in your life without divine permission and purpose, and there is a joy that far exceeds even the comparison to sufferings or difficulties of this life. That's the only thing that keeps a Christian going long-term, through everything, through anything. There's a joy set before me. When Jesus is enduring the betrayal of friends, when Jesus is enduring the physical abuse of the cynics and skeptics, when he's enduring the torture of the beatings, when he's enduring the nails, what do you say? Look, I'm sure this is all going to turn out well. I'm sure if you just have enough faith, this will stop. I'm sure God will take away this pain. No, no, no. The joy set before me of standing before the Father and saying, you did it. You did what I sent you to do. You finished it. You were faithful to me. You were being joy set before me. There's got to be some medal at the end. There's got to be some trophy you're running for, and that's it, to know the joy of the Lord. I'll give you a third thought from this text for me. He says in this passage two words. He says, consider Jesus. He says, consider Jesus so that when, and I paraphrase, when you're getting run down, when you're feeling weary, when you don't feel like you can make it. Here's my thought on this, and so try to track with me. I hope this makes sense for you. You and I have to be honest when we're struggling And we have to know how to recover and get going again. I feel like I'm finding too many Christians who don't know how to recover. They don't know how to get back in the game. They don't know how to handle real hardship. They don't know how to handle real difficulty. And so when it comes, all of a sudden, instead of looking to the one source that can make it make sense for you, the one source that can bring healing in that circumstance to you, the the one source that's in it with you, never to forsake you, we go somewhere else. And all of a sudden, we abandon abandon him, and things get hard. So, man, I I don't believe that stuff anymore. We start giving up on church. And listen, I I get this. I know this phenomenon. I've been guilty of it, and I've been on the receiving end of it. Christians can say some mighty stupid things sometimes to other Christians, trying to be helpful. I started writing a book one day. It never, never came to pass. It became lots of crumbled up paper in my trash can but I wanted to write a book about all the dumb things Christians say to each other and why they're not true. And you, you've probably heard some of these things. You know, the, the cliches we say to one another, God will never give you more than you can handle. What, are you kidding me? Isn't that the whole point? He's constantly giving me more than I can handle. So that I learn to trust Him, so I put my faith in Him. All these things and these things we say to each other try to make each other feel well. Listen, you've got to learn how to bounce back. When was the last time you, you considered Jesus? I mean, maybe you need to take a couple of days off. Take a spiritual retreat. Go spend some time with the Lord. Go find some place in quiet. Again, start with a, an open notebook, a blank piece of paper and a pen. And an open Bible and start reading and praying. And God showed me, God helped me, God healed me. Consider Jesus. When you're struggling, I mean, again, listen to the context here just for a moment. Consider Him. Consider Him. Who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted? Man, I know when you're running, sometimes it wears you out. I've only done one decent race in my life. I did a half marathon one Sunday morning before church. That was not wise, but I preached that morning on sore knees. And I can remember that race, a couple things particularly, because after about mile nine, I kind of hit the wall. It really wasn't so much the, the wall that I hit, it was the bridge. Um, we were running in South Florida, and there's a large bridge that goes over the causeway. And when you're driving it, it, it feels like this. When you're running it, it feels like this. And running up, that, running up that bridge about mile nine, I thought, I'm done with this. Who does this anyway? This is stupid. <laughs> and my feet hurt and everything. It's like, I don't get the point of this anymore. I don't even like this. I don't even like these people. I don't like you. <laughs> and I so wanted to quit. Thankfully, at the time, I was part of a running group, of which I was a leader. Um, <laughs> so I couldn't quit. And we're encouraging each other and helping each other. But you've know, you got to find something. Is it somebody? Is it something? I'm just telling you, Christian, there are going to come times you're going to want to quit. And tons of us have made the wrong choice at that moment. We walk away. We walk away from the one who could help us. We walk away from the people who would encourage us, and we run the wrong direction altogether. It's a terrible and tragic decision. Be honest with it. Consider, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus in those moments. Here's another point I would give you today. I know I'm throwing a lot at you, and I'm going to be done in just a second. Let me really challenge you. Push yourself. You've got to learn to push yourself. How many of you have learned... In certain circumstances or situations that you could actually do far more than you ever thought you could, whether that's physical, emotional, mental. My belief is this. Pardon me for being a bit cynical towards humankind. Most of us are kind of lazy. I and mean, we don't want to push ourselves. We would rather things be easy. That's why we say these cliches. You know, Well, I know God will open a door. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes you got to kick it down. Sometimes you got to cut a hole in the roof and drop it down. Sometimes you got to bust through. You got to do hard things. But I would challenge you in the spiritual life to push yourself. You know, you do that in other phases, don't you? You'll do that at work sometimes or you know all of a sudden you got to learn a new task to keep your job. You did that if you played sports, you do that in academics when you get a new challenge something in front of you, do you just quit cuz it's not easy? Push yourself. There's more to be given, more to be done, more strength in you than you think. Here's what he said about your challenge. You face temptation, you have not resisted unto blood, he said. Have you ever resisted that hard? Have you ever resisted that hard that it would kill you to resist? No, you haven't done that. We give in way before that. Push yourself. I was reading some stuff this week and chasing one of those rabbit trails, those superfluous things that keep you from your task. And I found something online that I thought was actually kind of interesting. This is not an endorsement of the website, so if you go to this website and find all sorts of corrupt stuff, it ain't my fault. I read one page, okay? Let me qualify myself. Before you email me, title of the website was Do Something Cool. I like it. I want to do something cool. I was talking about pushing yourself. And I thought, I don't know if this guy's a Christian or not. I didn't explore his background. But some of the things he said regarding pushing yourself certainly can resonate with Christians. Find someone to help push you. You got anybody in your life to do that? One of the means by which we try to accomplish that for each other here is we call that a D group Two or three other people in the trench with you, pushing you, pulling you. Take on a little more than you think you can. A little bit more than you think you can. Always push the limits. If you stay where you are doing what you're doing, if you stay in the confines of that, you're already doing all you can do. Push yourself outside of that. Third, he said, imagine reaching your next level. Imagine having the faith of one of those grand characters in Hebrews chapter 11. Imagine God doing something great through your life, Dream of something big. Imagine it. Number four, look at how others reach where you want to go. You ever do that? Man, that's hall of faith stuff. That's Hebrews 11. Look at what they've done. Why not you? Why not now? Is God not able? Number five, find something that inspires you. What inspires you? For us, that's a no-brainer. That's Christ. That's the that's promise of glory. Number six, don't stop till you're exhausted. Don't stop till you're exhausted. And number seven, he said, work on your weaknesses. Wherever you've got weaknesses, you've got limits. And isn't that the challenge here? The stuff that's holding me back, the stuff that's clinging to me, I've got to work on my weaknesses. If you're a runner, particularly if you're a long-distance runner, you're not going to be able to train very well. If you don't eat very well, if you don't sleep very well. Somebody who commits to a marathon is, co- is committing to a four- or five-month total life change. To do that, to train hard, work on those weaknesses. That's why this passage tells us this, you and I need to learn and practice some self-discipline. There's discipline of God and then there's self-discipline. Have you ever noticed this correlation? The more you discipline yourself, the less God has to. The more I put parameters in my own life, the more I live life with discipline and structure, the less God has to step in and discipline me. And sometimes God does. Some of the hardship that we're going through, I I hesitate to talk about, you're going to overcome it, you're going to get through it, because sometimes the hardship we're going through is actually God-induced, because He's working on us. We learned in our midweek Bible study, this this is your cue to come join us. We learned last week as we're going through the book of Genesis, that God has an invincible determination to sanctify us. Once you become part of God's family, once you become part of God's covenant, He promises He's going to carry to completion what He started. Now, you and I still work on our side of perseverance, but God is always working His side. And He is relentless. He is invincible in His determination to shape your life. And Sometimes that's a gentle shaping and guiding and leading, and sometimes it's a hard reshaping sometimes. Verse 10 says, He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. Do you have a desire to share God's holiness? Because that's what He's working in your life for. If your life is more painful than it ought to be, and it's from the hand of God, I can tell you why it is. God is trying to shape you for holiness. He's trying to ready you for himself, and his disciplines are always about that, for your good, but your good is always surrounded by his desire for holiness. Keep that in mind. When we say God's disciplining us for our good, that doesn't just mean he's disciplining us for our happiness, for our pleasure, for our satisfaction. He's disciplining us for our holiness, which is our good. It's always our holiness, which is our good for God. And finally, I leave you with this thought, and this is from the world of running. I read a great little article about this, a devotional about this from an author I really like, Stephen McAlpin. Um, He's a pastor in Australia, and he challenged this way, and i leave it with you. In your Christian life, someone who's running the race, aim for a negative split. Write it down. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't. Write it down. Aim for a negative split. That might sound counterintuitive if you don't run. It might sound uh, the opposite of what you want to do, but the most positive thing a Christian can do is negative split their life. When you're running, let's say you're running a half marathon, you've got got your 13-plus miles to run, and maybe you're looking at your splits every mile. Wouldn't it be awesome if your 13th mile was faster than your first? Or maybe in a marathon you simply split it up into two 13-mile segments. Wouldn't it be great if the second half of that marathon you ran better than you did the first half? A negative split is when you run better, run faster, in the latter parts than you did in the beginning. Can't we all aim for that? Can't we all aim for that negative split that now all of a sudden I'm running better than I've ever run? I'm more in tune with what God wants me to do and why I'm running than I've ever been? I'm more committed to finishing well than I've ever been committed. I'm more discerning about what needs to be put aside and what needs to be peeled away than I've ever been. Wouldn't that be a great decision for all of us here? Whatever splits you've got left, whatever miles you've got left, ever how many more clicks you've got, you say, I'm going to run them better than I've ever run. I want to aim for a negative split. I want to finish better than I started. I don't want to simply finish. I want to finish better, better than I've ever been. I hope that's your aim, too. Would you pray with me this morning? God, so much to consider, so much to take away, I pray that we would. pray your Holy Spirit would call things to memory. I pray that we would take action. If there's ever been a time that we need to be more than hearers of the Word, need to be doers of it, well, this would be that time, Lord, so by your Spirit, help us to do that. So God, in the broadest sense of things today, I pray for the encouragement of those who are running. I think specifically those who are really struggling, I pray that they would recover. I pray that we would help them recover, that they would allow others to help them recover. I pray that those who are struggling would also find the right inspiration now. The selfish stuff, the self-centered stuff is not sufficiently inspiring. What do I get out of this today? That's just not enough. I've got to run for something bigger. Father, inspire. Father, by your Holy Spirit, re-energize, re-strengthen. Lord, there's some in this room that can't run well because they're carrying too much sin. Just can't. You can't be running with Christ and toward Christ when everything we're doing denies Him. That just doesn't work. Conviction might be the most... Conviction and repentance will be the most freeing things they'll ever do, that'll ever happen to them. Lord, some of us have been victim to a more, maybe even more insidious strategy where Satan hasn't made us bad, he just made us busy with stuff that doesn't matter. and We're carrying around such a load of stuff. We don't even know what we're about anymore. We don't know what we're living for, what we're supposed to be doing, what we're supposed to be accomplishing, where we're headed, why we're running. Let us lay aside every weight. And Father, if there's anybody here today, anybody listening who hasn't even started this race yet, may they know that it all starts with faith in Jesus. When he says, come to me, Come to me. Follow me. Come and be my disciple. Lord, if there's anyone here today that's that's not even in the game, not even in the race, Father, I pray you call them today. They feel that compelling sense for you inviting them. Listen, come. It's time. It's time to know me. It's time to know the purpose for which you were made. It's time to live a life bigger than you imagined. Led by your your designer. It's time to live with eternity in mind for the biggest, most important things you could ever do. I pray they would come and follow Jesus today. So Lord, move in our hearts, our minds, our wills, our abilities today to do these things. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.